Today's scripture is Hebrews 2, 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Allison. You guys can take a seat. Well, I know it's been said a couple times already, but uh, good morning again. Uh, my name's Sean. Uh, I am the lead pastor, teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Uh, we say every week, Redemption Church is one church, 10 different congregations. At each congregation, for example, Redemption Peoria, we're elder-led and lead pastor-led. So we don't do satellites or anything like that. We're here in this moment where we feel like we're in our, in our context. And so um, you might have questions about that. I'd love to answer them, uh, help you out. I'd love also to meet you if you're new. Um, I'm going to be in the lobby afterwards. There's a connect desk over to the right, uh, and that's a, a good place to, to get connected. I, I want to let you know if you're new or been coming for a, a couple weeks now and want to get connected, the best way to do that is going to be uh, to, to do the Start Here class, which um, is the first three weeks in every month. We're starting our first one in October. Um, there's a card out in the connect, out by the Connect desk in the lobby that you can grab. John Demeter's leading that whole thing, and it starts next week. So if you want to sign up, you, you need to do so now. Um, at the same time, if, if you've been coming for a while and you want to get connected through a class, you're already in an RC, but you've heard kind of us doing classes. The first class we're going to be doing is a marriage class uh, in October. And again, it starts next week. So um, if you want to join a class, you can text JOIN to 623 um, You'll get a digital pushback push for, for some classes to join there. Just be aware of that. Here's the only thing I have outside of those kind of regular things. Um, a lot of you uh, who, who are newer to redemption and, and not aware in some of the ways that we operate, I, I want to let you know uh, uh, two quick things. One is we believe ultimately, um, and I know it's so cheesy and cliche, that we are the church, right? So we've tried to continue to press on the idea that no one in our congregation can say, I'm going to the church, right? And, and what that means is wherever you are, the church is. And because of that, we as elders want to continue to instill within you guys, not just um, ways to minister to your neighborhoods, to your workplaces or whatever, but resources to do so. And so we have our redemption grants, our redemption community grants that we have um, afforded to you guys, money that's set aside that if you say, hey, I have a neighbor who needs to pay an electric bill, instead of them contacting the church and having this nebulous no one to put a face on to who's helping them, you help them. So you reach out to the church and then ultimately we're able to give you those funds, grocery cards, whatever it is. Well, as much as that's true, there's also a big uh, redemption grant process that a lot of you guys aren't aware of. And this is for all 10 congregations. So hear me out. If you're an entrepreneur or you have an idea to do a ministry of any kind, this, this announcement is for you. We want to continue to not just on individual levels as families, um, partake in what God is doing in our city, but also on higher levels, right? In, in economics and socioeconomic divides, all kinds of issues that we feel like we can address, you have ideas for. And so all of redemption has what's called redemption grants, meaning if you have an idea for a ministry, so there's been ministries that um, have, have said, I feel like I can engage the uh, underprivileged, or I feel like I can start this kind of business with the, with the dollars going this way. Um, we as redemption want to help you start that ministry or that business. And, and the price ranges, uh, we, we've given as little as $1,000 away and as much as $20,000 away to help you start a business that you feel like God is cooking within you uh, for the kingdom of God. And so here's what I would uh, ask you to do. 
if you want to go to redemptionaz.com uh, forward slash grants, all the, the uh, contact info is on there. Josh Prather is over it, but Ben Bear is the one who's going to be helping you navigate that. So if you are that type of person, just be aware of that. Uh, kind of go at it. And uh, if you have questions, again, I'll be in the lobby. Cool? All right, well, let's do it. Um, so we're in Acts 27. Uh, and uh, here's how we're going to finish out the book of Acts so you're aware. We've been going through it all this year. If you're new, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Um, we're going to finish it out by me covering Acts 27 and the first half of 28, okay? And then next week, I'm going to cover and finish the book of Acts, finish out the book of Acts and explain why it ends the way that it does and talk about all that we've gone through in the book of Acts. And then the third week uh, to finish out the book of Acts, after we've covered the entire book, the thread that we've tried to um, identify and find all through the book of Acts has been this idea of mission. And so my man, Dwayne Hawkins is coming in and he's going to preach on the idea of mission in the book of Acts, what it means for us, what does that look like? And so that is on the eighth. So again, this today, we're going to cover most of uh, 28 and all of 27. I'll finish this out in the book of Acts to to go overview stuff. And then Dwayne's going to come in and talk about mission in the book of Acts. So I'm really excited for all of that, um, but we've got a lot to cover. So I want to jump right in. So if you already have your Bibles, you can do uh, Acts 27. You've probably noticed as if you have your Bibles open, what Allison came up and read um, is, is not in Acts. And that's intentional because we've got a lot to do to get there. And let me explain why. Um, uh, the book of Acts, if you're not familiar with it, is a narrative, right? And so you always have two different options when you're approaching a topic or, or some type of thing to teach. And that is, there's a truth, a, a foundational kind of, here's what I want you to know. And then um, as humans, we can use examples or scenarios or stories or narratives to explain that truth. Meaning, if you were to come across Ephesians 2, and you were to read, by nature, you are children of wrath. That's a truth, right? The Bible states, by nature, you are children wrath. And if I'm trying to explain that, which I will in the beginning of the year, we're going to be going through all of the book of Ephesians, actually most of next year, going through the book of Ephesians. When we hit that idea, and I'm trying to unearth what it means to be, uh, uh, by nature, be a child of wrath. I'm trying to explain that left to your own, without God doing a work within you, you left to your own nature are, and it, and it says even right before that, following the prince of the power of the air, you are Satan followers, if you will, if we want to get dramatic, right? Okay. So there's this truth. And I'm trying to unearth this idea. Well, as a teacher, what I want to do is I want to use examples or stories or narratives or whatever, parables, to explain that. So then I can go, let's take that exact example, and I go, okay, well, let me explain it like this. After Genesis 3, the world's broken. And the first thing that we see after Genesis 3 is a brother kill his brother. That's the first story. And so I share with you the story of Cain and Abel to try to explain Ephesians 2, 3, to try to explain the idea that by nature, because of Genesis 3, we're broken, we're children of wrath. Now, I hope that makes sense. I'm trying to use a a narrative or a story to explain that truth, okay? But sometimes, and if you have children, you get this a lot, you are in a narrative, you're in a story, and that's pointing to a truth. So um, we see this in the Gospels all the time, the way that Jesus interacts. We see that Jesus feeds 5,000 people. There's no absolute truth in that, that when, when uh, at some point, point Jesus goes, now here's why I fed the 5,000, so that you can know blank, 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 blank about me. No, we as the, the readers get to step back and go, this is what I see of, about Jesus. He's powerful. He provides. He's good. He cares. So I'm identifying truths in these narratives. 
Now, the reason I explain all of that and just how we approach the text is the book of Acts, specifically the last four or five weeks, has been the latter. We've been running into narratives, and as I've taken a 30,000 foot for us to address these texts, there's nothing I'll write that goes, and that's the point of the text. We're reading this, and we're going, okay, so Paul did this. He's hated by the Jews. Okay, now he's standing before King Agrippa. Okay, now we're going to find him in a, in this, on this ship, and it's turmoil, and, and we, we, he lands on this island, and it's, what do we do with this? And I feel like my job is for us to read the narrative and go, well, this is what it's pointing to, okay? So I want to start with all that to say, if I haven't confused you yet, welcome to Redemption Peoria. Um, I say all that because I want to start with the truth, what I think as a 30,000 foot that this passage is trying to show us, why Luke has this in the book of Acts, and then I want us to see the text as the story to point towards that truth, okay? And I think this story is perfectly placed by the book of, uh, or by Luke in the book of Acts. Meaning this is the last kind of big hurrah that we find in the book of Acts. Next week we kind of finish out in Rome um, and, it, and it kind of just dwindles down and it ends abruptly, which we'll talk about next week. Uh, today we've got a shipwreck and snakes. It's crazy stuff. And I think it's very intentional. And here's what I want to identify um, going into this. There's something in Paul that we talked about a three, weeks, uh, three or four weeks ago about a truth or facts that he knows about God that continues continues to drive him. But the question that has to still remain on the table is, while all of the church continues to go through things, right? Like while Stephen's being stoned, while they're being mocked at Pentecost, while they're being thrown in prison, Paul's lowered in a basket. He's stoned half to death at one point. Even now there's this, this ticket on his life by these men who said, we won't eat until uh, we kill him over and over and over. The church continues to move on. Christianity, Christianity continues to move on. These Christians have this fervor about them that feels unwavering, feels almost awkward at times, feels stubborn and arrogant. They, they, even though they're being killed, they almost could beat their chest and go, but we're on the winning side, bro. But we're on the winning side. Through all these things, why does that continue to happen? Even, even in our text today, which we're going to read in a moment, what is in Paul that gives him this confidence, this peace that over beyond all different odds through suffering and persecution, he goes, no, I'm good. I'm good. And, and the answer to that is the text that Allison came up and read. So before we get there, I, I want us to rewind because we're in Acts 27. If you were with us about... Uh, I don't know, a little over a month ago, we ran into a passage uh, that I'm going to read real quick in Acts 20, 24. It says this about Paul. See, if you weren't there, here's what happens. Paul's starting these journey, journeys, and as he's going on these journeys, the church at one moment goes, but Paul, you're going to die if you go there. And Paul makes this declaration, this idea, there's something within Paul, this seed that I think for us as a church, and even the church at large, we're almost forgetting in the Western world, this seed that Paul declared, and we talked about this in Acts 20, 24, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of grace of God. There's something in him. It's that Kobe Bryant, Tom Brady, Michael Jordan, I'm going to kill you and not care. I'll win the game no matter what happens. Something within them. There's something within them that, that they, they, they continue to drive and go, you can steal and kill and destroy my body, but you ain't taking my soul. And this is found all through our history. 
I mean, you, you've got story after story of, of people declaring, actually, I wrote a couple of these down so I can share them with you. How crazy. Listen to even the erroneous idea of how far this pendulum swings for some of these people. Uh, Melito of Sardius acclaimed this. There are two things which give remission of sins, baptism and suffering for the sake of Christ, which is completely inaccurate, FYI, if you're new, okay? But just hear that, okay? Uh, Tertullian says this, your blood is the key to paradise, Again, not true, but still crazy, right? Uh, there's at one point this guy named Eupolis, uh, E-U-P-L-U-S, however you'd want to pronounce that. He walks into a Roman official, a governing official's a courtroom in the middle of court, and he says, I'm a Christian, and I wish to die. And, of course, the Roman official plays out his wish, and he kills him. But, but the idea is, if you could hear... All of our church history and early church fathers were not just praying against persecution, against suffering. If you read some of these dudes, you're going, man, they're praying for it. They're going, my body, you can take my body. I'm going in this hard. There's something about them that continues to drive them. What is that? What is driving them? What continues? Does God continue to place within them that, that he's doing something? And, and I think ultimately it's the text that uh, Allison came up and read. Listen to this. Listen to this declaration by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2, okay? Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he, Christ, himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. Ready? Verse 15. This is money. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you you hear that last? So Jesus accepted and embraced death to free those who through fear of death were in slavery. Meaning the way that the world processes it is the classic cheesy YOLO, right? That you have this one life. You need to get it in. And there is this impending death that is coming. And because of that, you you are a slave. You are subject to here and now. And so you've got to get it right. You've got to get the most joy. You've got to get the most pleasure. And in this this, uh, concept of of Hebrews chapter 2, what we're told is, no, no, no. Jesus freed the people who were subject to slavery through his death. They They were afraid of death. But they don't have to be afraid of death anymore because Jesus freed them from that bondage. And that's the key. Because Jesus did what he did, we don't got to fear death. Now now hear me, suffering's coming. I, I know that the American Western theology has told us otherwise, but suffering is coming. I don't mean just persecution on a broad scope. I mean your mom your dad will eventually die. Some of you will lose children at birth. Car accidents, loss of homes, loss of jobs, breakups, divorces. Hear me, it's coming. That day is on its way. But there's something about the Christian that continues in the midst of that storm And goes, it doesn't matter. I don't count my life as value or precious to myself, but only that I would finish the ministry that Jesus has given me. That continues to drive him over and over and over again. And we get an example of this in the book of Acts chapter 27 with the apostle Paul. So if you're new, I'm going to read big sections of it. Uh, I'm also going to summarize some of it because it's so much text. Um, 
just keep in mind as we read these texts that um, there's still this hit on Paul's life. Paul's continuing to travel. If you're not aware, he's done three missionary journeys. He then made his way over to um, uh, Jerusalem, and now he's traveling to Rome. And, and, and during all these travels, um, the Jews do not like Paul. And so there, there's been men who've said, we won't eat until Paul dies. Okay, So that hit is still on Paul's life. This is what we pick up in chapter 27, verse 1. There's some really good names in here that are hard to pronounce, so bear with me. And when it was decided that we, Luke is with him, so he's writing in that, uh, uh, using the pronoun we, that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of Augustine cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of adamantium, which I believe is the metal they put in Wolverine, um, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius threatened Paul, uh, uh, treated Paul kindly, and gave him leave to go to his friends and care for him, to care for. Verse 4, And putting out to sea, from there we sailed uh, under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea, along the coast of Sicilia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra of Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put put us on uh, put us on a board. Verse 7, we sailed slowly for a, member, for a number of days and arrived with difficulty of uh, Snidius. Uh, as the wind did not f- allow us to go further, we sailed under the lee. It's just a lot of stuff. Let me show you a map real quick, okay? Um, um, there's a map on there. Yeah, so, um, so you can take the text off if you, if you want. So it's all good. So um, this, there's some arrows on here. This we're probably familiar with. This is a a map that we saw in Paul's third missionary journey. Um, Historically, people call what we're on right now Paul's fourth missionary journey, though a lot of it's kind of against his own uh, will. So we found ourselves here in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, what we're going to find is Paul. I don't have arrows for you. They're going to go around Cyprus, and they're going to sail through all this way. They're going to stop in Crete, and then they're going to beeline it down here, and they're going to go up into Italy. Now, this tiny little island right here, I don't know if you can see it, is the island of Malta, ultimately where they land. So what we're reading right there is all the sailing going through. They kind of take this way, and they want to take certain ways, but they can't get out into the open sea because of winds. So they continue to ride the waves all the way along the coast eventually making their way up to Italy. That's what we're going to uh, get to as we read this. So uh, from this point, as, as we were just uh, reading through all this, um, Paul, during the, the, the travels, eventually says, you guys, um, I'm, I'm feeling right now, being led by the Spirit, that this is going to be bad for us, okay? As we're sailing along, before they get to this tiny island, he's like, hey, as we're sailing along, this is going to be bad. I, I think we should consider stopping somewhere for the winter. They, they don't listen, and they continue to sail, and then it becomes bad for them, right? And so uh, the, the winds hit, the waves are strong, and we pick it up. In verse 18 of chapter 27. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of being saved was at last abandoned. Okay? So the waves are bad. And I remember um, a few years ago, I was in the Philippines. And uh, I think I've shared this story with you, but hilarious. Uh, I, I was in the Philippines, and... 
it was, you know, it, it was bad weather to us, at least. It, it seemed like bad weather, but um, it was perfectly clear, perfectly clear day. And my buddy Micah goes out with some of the sailors. And then like this, I don't know, this huge pocket of weather storm hits. And I'll never forget my buddy Micah. He comes around. He's Hispanic, keep in mind, but he comes around and he's totally white, right? And all the Filipinos uh, uh, sailors are just laughing. They're pointing at him, laughing at him uh, because he was so scared, right? But the sailors spend their time on the ocean. They're like, storm? That ain't a wave. I'll show you a wave, right? They're not scared. And Micah's terrified. Well, here's what I know to be true. When the sailors are terrified, we're all scared. It's game over. And so they're going, there's no hope. We're going to die. And when the stewardess looks scared, the plane's going down. Okay? So that's what we find. All hope is lost in this moment. They don't know what they're doing. Verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul Paul stood among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. This is kind of an I told you so moment. Should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete uh, and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted all of those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that he will, uh, that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So the experts now are listening to Paul. Paul's calming the ship down. We'll find out in a minute. There's 256 people aboard. Paul's calming them down and go, listen, God's got us, right? We're going back to what we talked about in the beginning. There's something within Paul... There's something within these Christians that in the midst of this storm, the sailors don't have. The experts don't have. And Paul goes, no, 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 God's got us. We're all going to be saved. We're going to lose the ship, which I think plays for days. Because I think sometimes we think of God's got us, meaning suffering isn't happening. That's not true. But we're going to lose the ship, but God's got us. Verse 27. When the 14th night had come, as we were being driven across the Andratic Sea... About midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further, and they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, and let down, uh, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for, uh, for day to come. Verse 30. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying uh, out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. So here they are, 14 days. They haven't seen, they haven't eaten. They haven't seen uh, the stars. They haven't seen the sun. It's been all bad. They lay anchor. They put these anchors in. Now the sailors are like, we got to get off this boat. It's going to be real bad. We're going to crash. They start to lower the lifeboats. And Paul goes, no, no, no. God's told me everyone's got to stay on. The, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers who are uh, escorting Paul, cut the ropes. And you can almost just imagine the sailors watching the boat go away. And they're like, we're going to die. Okay. Like this guy's crazy. But all the while, Paul has this piece about what he's doing. This is exactly what needs to happen. Verse 33. And as day was about to dawn, Paul urged all of them to take some food saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense without having food. Uh, having uh, taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food for it will give you strength for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when, when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God, 
And all the presents, uh, this is almost like, I, I love this, on the way to a, a crashing, almost like a communion, which is beautiful in a lot of ways. But uh, thanks to God, in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Verse 36. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. With, uh, we were all uh, in 276 persons on the ship, like I said. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the load, throwing out all the wheat of the sea. I just want you to notice Paul's calm as we continue to go through this. At which point, here's what happens. The, sh- the ship is kind of going. Uh, uh, to and fro, they begin to say, hey, listen, we need to make for land. Cut off the anchors. Let's get rid of the anchors. And they begin to float. And as they're floating, um, they're hoping to run ashore, but they hit a reef, okay, on their way in. And as they hit a reef, this is what happens. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to the land. So exactly what God said was going to happen, happened. They got off the boat. Some floated. Some swam. Some just survived to make it to the beach. But they're all there, okay? Again, God's uh, got Paul in this whole thing, and then we have the... The last uh, 10 verses of our text today, uh, they're on this island. At first, they don't know where they are. It's this island called Malta. After we were brought safely through, we learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they uh, kindled a fire and welcomed, welcomed us all because it had began to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Let's stop there real quick because the other day... Um, I was, uh, I mowed my lawn and I weed whacked my lawn and, and, uh, you know, the shrubs and all the, the grass gets onto the driveway. And so I take the blower and I'm blowing off all of the, the, the grass, uh, you know, out to the street, like a good neighbor. And I keep it out there. Um, and, and, and I'm trying to pull it around to make the corner, uh, around my fence and the stupid extension cord, which it sticks to the tire underneath the tire. And I lose my freaking mind. Like, why? And this happens. I hate extension cords so much. Why is this happening right now? And so I walk, I throw the blower down. I walk and I go, why? Why is this happening? Okay. And I move the cord over and I get back to the blower and I make the current current and I'm going there. And of course there's a tiny knot on the extension cord. It gets caught on the turning of the fence. Like I could have tried to do it and I wouldn't have been able to. And so I look and I go, what? I don't understand what I did to deserve this right now. Okay. Now, now, if I lose my mind over an extension cord, hear me, if I survived a shipwreck being at sea for days on end, thinking I'm going to lose my life, being in cold, landing on the island, being freezing again, and then I think God's got me only to be bit by a viper, I would go, really? Okay. But Paul, like a grown man, goes, whatever, and flicks it off. Okay? So so hear this. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. Okay? So they're going, dude, this is all bad for you. What did you do? This is like, you're going to be put in a hell where all you do is untangle extension cords. That is your reality. Okay? So, so here they are. 
They're, they're like, this, this guy's a goner. Verse 5, he however shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. Then they were waiting for him to swell up and suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited for a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Right? So he's bitten by this viper. They're going, dude, you're going to die. They're waiting for him to swell up and eventually fall over. Like, just kind of watching him. Like, no, I'm, I'm good. Now, from this moment, not only does he not die, and they go, man, not only is this guy not a murderer, but he's a god. Uh, he begins to travel the island, starting with the leader of the island. And, and God uses him to heal people on that island. And that's the, the, where our passage ends. I mean, amazing stuff. Crazy stuff. But all the while, there's this calm that I want to address. Because I think the people of Malta are a perfect example of how we process things that we go through in our life and not Christ. Meaning, um, there's a little bit of Malta kind of in all of us, thinking that if we're suffering, we've done something wrong. Like, like when something bad happens, God's got a stumming down and going, you deserve this. But when something good happens, we're like God. Like, like, oh, no, no, we've done all the right things. And, and hear me, this is all bad for us. Because what happens is we begin to think when we do the right things, God owes us. God, I, I don't know what I've done. Why do I keep getting this extension cord caught? What, what? And it's an extension cord. You, you know what I mean? Now, now uh, play this up many volumes louder, and we have this loud noise that takes place, and we feel like, well, I've done the right thing. I've done all these good things. I've, I, I, I've been solid at church. I've, I've read my Bible. I've continued to press into to the Lord in all these really good ways. Why is pain coming? Why are there shipwrecks? Why the viper? Why suffering? Why persecution? Why is this happening? And if we're not careful, we process suffering like the world does like the people of Malta. But that's not how God has called Paul. That is not how God has called Christianity and specifically us today to respond. That's not the seed. And here it's summed up in one word. It's not the seed of hope that God has given us. Hear me. Even if Paul dies, he wins. You know what I'm saying? Even if he does swell up and die, Paul wins. It's the other 275 people that lose. Well, we're, well there's probably some Christians in there. So it's the other people who lose. Right, right, right. Paul wins if he dies. So come what may. Come what may. Now hear me. Um, I think there's a, a pretense here that has to be addressed because I think in some ways we can take this and as we're going through suffering, we can be the Christian that nobody likes to be around. Hey, man, uh, I heard you lost your job. Oh, I'm so good. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so good. Well, you also lost your car. You got to take the bus. Oh, totally. But check this out. I missed my bus stop. I got to run two miles ahead. Still caught it. The Lord is so good, right? And everyone's like, dude, I don't know what you're on, but you got the super Christian cape, and that just don't feel real to me. So what I'm not saying is that there's not lamenting. Because we find this a lot, not just in the book of Psalms, but if you remember in Acts 20, 24, the people around Paul, they lamented. There was a sadness about what's going on. But underneath that, right, because it almost looks very similar to the way that the world sees it. Underneath that, there's this seed. There's this hope. There's this, even though it looks like I'm losing, I'm on the winning team. And Paul is not processing his reality like the people of Malta. 
And this is huge because I think when it comes to us applying this, um, how we can process this is we recognize because Jesus secured our eternity through suffering and pain, we can embrace both. Because he secured our eternity through those two things, we can embrace them. Listen to the text. Um, And some of these, they're so beautiful. In 1 Peter 5, I want you to just listen to them. I don't have them on the screen. Listen to this. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. When it's all said and done, you know who's waiting for you? You know who's waiting for Paul? If he does, if he does die, Jesus. He's waiting there. Listen, he himself will restore, confirm, and strengthen. Listen to uh, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19. I won't read all of it, but hear this. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Do you hear that? So, so it's not always the miracle when the man stands out of the wheelchair. Though I think that God has done that and will do that and, and yes and amen to that. But he's almost saying in the suffering... You bring glory to God by saying, no, 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 I'm still here. I'm in the wheelchair, but praise God. That brings him glory. Even though you can take my job, my wife, my children, my house, my income, I'm still in this and it hurts and it's awful, but I'm still in this. I still win because of what Jesus has done. This is this tenacity that early Christianity had. We're not done. At the back half of that same uh, uh, verse in 1 Peter 4, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because of the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let, not, uh, but let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, hear this, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Yes, and then lastly, 2 Corinthians 4. And, and FYI, if you want to read in, in the beginning of 2 Corinthians, uh, it talks about the God of comfort will comfort you with all comfort. It uses the word comfort a lot. So that you can comfort others. We're reminded of the purpose that in your suffering, it even has a plan, a purpose, a place to go. There's, this is all for God's glory and him doing something. But in chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, uh, we, we read this, um, I believe, last week. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Do you hear the juxtaposition? Let me read it again, okay? We're we're afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We're not out. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're not out. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're not out. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always caring in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So I need you to think of the goodness of Jesus on the cross. Like think of how terrible it is, how awful it is, but how much hope that we find with this man on the cross. That we wear it around our our necks as a symbol. That, That we recognize this was good for us. That he took our sin. We took his righteousness. We see his death as giving life. Hear me. Flip that around. And the world looks at you. And you look at your suffering and you go, even in the same way, my suffering is good news. 
that it brings glory to God. And hear me, I don't know how. I don't know how, according to James 1.3, I'm to count it all joy. Man, man, I don't know how, according to Romans 5, it brings perseverance. It ultimately brings us character. I don't know how. But I know in this moment, God has a plan. He's doing something. I have the seed of hope. I win. I win. Um, at the end of, of it all, we find, I want to read this in Revelation twelve eleven. I want you to listen to the book of Revelation. This is what we're told. They could be even us in that they. Overcome him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. May that be true of us. Listen, listen to it again. They did not love their life so much as to shrink from death. Let death come. We still win. This is where I'm going to finish. Um, I want to share a story with you guys that um, many of you are familiar with. Um, if you've grew up in the church and you're familiar with where I'm going to end up going, but I know we have a lot of new believers and a lot of young Christians. So I think this sharing this historical truth is a, a good moment for us. But there's a, a guy named Horatio uh, Spatford. Spatford uh, is his name. Um, I always mispronounce his last name. Um, but I remember sharing this story when I preached at Tempe, and I was reminded of it just because of the shipwreck stuff. So, so let me get you there. Um, there's this guy named uh, uh, Horatio who, he's a business owner in the 1800s in Chicago. He owns a lot of real estate. And if you guys remember the timeline at all, uh, in Chicago at that time, in 1871, there was the Great Chicago Fire that just burned down. Um, and I'm assuming not many of you are alive. Jim, you? No? Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, but, but in 1871, there's this, this great fire. And at first ratio was a, a lawyer and that's where he made a lot of his money, but he bought a bunch of real estate that he ended up losing in 1871. Um, and that was actually, uh, two years, uh, prior to that fire, he lost his four-year-old son, uh, um, to scarlet fever at the time. And so the dude was going through it. Now, he still had four daughters, and so he decided two years later he needed a break from it all. He was friends with a guy named Dwight Moody, uh, who was uh, in England at the time, and he was going to set sail to go to, uh, to London out there and visit his buddy to do some ministry together and all that stuff. So um, Horatio sets this whole plan up for him, his wife, and his four daughters to sail to London to meet up with D.L. Moody. And um, right before, the day before they're getting ready to, to set sail, some business interactions come up. And so Horatio has to stay there. And as he stays there, he says, listen, you guys get out of here. I'll deal with all this. He sends his wife and his daughters ahead, okay? Well, uh, about a week and a half later, two weeks later, he gets a note from his wife, and it just says, saved alone. On the way, the ship was traveling. It actually ran into another ship and sank in, in historically, it was known as 12 Minutes. And every one of his family except his wife died. His four daughters died. Two, four, seven, and 11 were their uh, ages. And she just sends back saved alone. So um, he immediately puts down all business interactions, jumps on the next ship that he can get to, to London, and he begins to travel. And um, as the story goes, uh, he had a son later who uh, ended up dying as well. And so this is all bad for him. Um, but but what, what uh, one of his daughters ended up recording as... Um, as, as they died and, and all this, the mom's telling the story. It could be all bad. He comes to find out. But she, the wife, later says that as Horatio was traveling on the ship to go see his wife, um, the captain, the moment where the, the, the ship went down, the previous ship went down, the captain calls up Horatio to the deck and says, this is the spot that you lost your children. And uh, in that moment, Horatio obviously distraught of this, goes back to his, 
his room and he pens these words. And it's the words that we're familiar with, but it's not the story. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul, with my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Listen to that. Even as seas billow roll and you're suffocated, there's moments where I've been in hospital rooms where I feel like I can't breathe because how bad I feel for this couple that has a stillborn. Or there's moments where I feel like I don't know what to do or what to say in suffering. And I feel like all I can tell this Christian person is it's well with your soul. All you've got in that moment is it's well with your soul. You win. Vipers are coming. Shipwrecks are coming. But you win. The last verse in that says this, and Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be a sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. Here's what I want to do. Um, I want to sing that song. And I asked Josh, um, and he wasn't doing anything today, so he said he was willing um, to sing the song for us. Josh, if you can come up, if you guys can stand to your feet, that would be great. Here's what I want to do. Um, Historically in my own life, um, there have been times where I go without reading my Bible or I feel super far from the Lord. And, um, and in those moments, it's crazy and, and almost, you can almost time it out that it's going to happen that when I walk into a service and even a service I didn't want to go to and the worship starts, there's something that happens within me. Like I'm reminded why I'm a Christian. I'm reminded who I live for. I'm reminded of the hope that I have amidst all the suffering, amidst all the trials, amidst all the pain. There's something about singing so much so that we're told that God sings over us. There's something about that moment. So I can read the words But even at the end of the sermon, what I want to take the time is I want us to sing this song together. And I have nowhere idea where you are, y'all. I have no idea. But hear me. If it's good, if you're in a season where things are awesome, hear me. It only matters where your soul is. And if things are just terrible right now, and you feel like you cannot go on, hear me. It only matters if it's well with your soul. And so together, we're going to sing the first and the last verse of this song and sing the chorus together. And we're going to be reminded, like Paul knew, like the church fathers knew, like Peter knew, like the Christians around us should know every day, it's well with our soul. We win. So we're going to sing that song together. I'll pray for us, and then we'll do our time of corporate response. Josh. Father, we are reminded yet again through someone's pain that eternity is in your mind. Like a child, sometimes we don't like to be corrected or pained in the moment. But as an adult, we see that we are making men and women out of these children. And I pray that would be true of us as well. 
that we would see that this life is a mist. It's a vapor. It's going to be gone. But eternity is in your mind. Thank you for the narrative and the life of Paul. That through literal storms, you gave him a peace that he was on the winning side, the seed of hope. That even though people quite literally thought he was going to die, you gave him peace, a seed of hope. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for reminding us of that truth. Thank you for being with us. Thank you ultimately for the cross and resurrection because that is what keeps us well in our soul. We're so grateful. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.